Good morning, everybody. Uh, I, too, welcome you as we gather together to worship the Lord. For those of you, whether we're present here or whether you're uh, with us online or maybe uh, sometime uh, hereafter. So uh, God's blessing upon you. There's a possibility that next month we'll be taking communion the second Sunday of the month. All right, so we'll be out of routine. That decision is still in the works, but I thought I'd give you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, and my daughter, two of my daughters might, will hopefully will be here on that Sunday and they'll share a ministry of music and we'll take a look at a metaphor of communion that Sunday. I think that's the, the 10th of the month. Now, this morning we're going to take a look at God's word through an account in the Bible about friendships. Uh, back in 1986, I'm, I'm kind of curious, were any of you born by 1986. If you were, raise your hand. Oh, a couple. Wow. Praise God. What a good year to be born. Of course, you were probably in a bassinet or a crib at the time, but there was a real popular song that uh, made it to the top of the U.S. Billboard Top 100. I don't even know if that still exists. And the, and the song title was That's What Friends Are For. A really popular song in the 80s and 90s. And one of the things that was emphasized in our, in our culture at that point was friendships. And I think it's just as prevalent today as it was in 1986. Uh, a songstress named Dionne Warwick sang it. And she was the person who sang a lot of Burt Bacharach songs. And he was a really popular Academy Award winning songwriter back in the 80s and 90s. So it's a real, and it emphasized the idea of what friends are for. Now, when I was in about the, I think it was, I was in the fifth grade. My, um, my teacher, who was a science buff, separated me out of the class to do an experiment. And the experiment was Mendel's um, genetic experiment. He did it, what started with peas, pea plants, and then he used fruit flies. And what he was showing was how uh, there are genes in our bodies and how they, they are the ones that, that, that determine our traits. And then he theorized that there are dominant genes and there are recessive genes. And then when sometimes they combine to a dominant recessive and you get hybrids. The word hybrid now means something a little bit different, but that's the terminology he used. So my teacher selected me to do Mendel's experiment with fruit flies. And so every day I would be separated from the class and I would go into the cloakroom, which served as a, as a laboratory. I remember there was a binocular, uh, not a microscope there, and I had to anesthetize the fruit flies to view them under the microscope. So I remember the smell of ether that I had to use. And so I, I conducted it the entire uh, school year up to the spring. And I hated it. All right. But sometime after the, the semester break, there was a mini revolt in the class. And the class wanted to say something. So the teacher, and I don't think this was a good idea, gathered the students together during class time, and I was present in the classroom. I wasn't in the cloakroom. I wish I was. And the kids talked about how 
I was the teacher's pet and that I got to do something that the rest of them couldn't do and that I was, uh, there was favoritism in the classroom. They voiced this. These are fifth graders. And I was listening to all this. And uh, she tried to explain to them that I had an aptitude for science and that I was at near the top of the class, and that didn't help. Basically, I was able to get the classwork done early. Right? She noticed that. And so, but the students, they just went on and on. And the person who led the revolt was my good friend. He was my neck. He, was, he lived two doors from me, and we grew up playing together. And now in the fifth grade, he let this mini revolt against me. And that changed my view of him from that day forth. He was no longer my best friend. He was still a friend because we still hung out and played together, but I really viewed him differently. And what are friends for? Have you ever had that experience? Or maybe you thought you had a really good friend and then something transpires and you feel betrayed by that friend? What does a good friend look like? And if you are a good friend to someone else, what should you look like? I mean, what are friends for? So we'll take a look at an account in the, in the book of Samuels. And we see a friendship there that is noted in the scriptures between David and Jonathan. Now, Jonathan is King Saul's son, and David's the shepherd boy who slew Goliath and whom God had chosen to become the next king. Now, Saul knew this, and he became very jealous of David. Yet David and Jonathan were bonded friends. So let's take a look at their friendship and try to discover, now what exactly are friends for? First of all, a friend is someone who is loyal. Okay, a friend is someone who is loyal. Now the word loyal means faithful allegiance to. It basically means you are faithful to somebody. 1 Samuel 19, 4 and 5 says this, Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father, and said to him, do you not, do not let the king, that's his father, sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, referring to Goliath. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause. So this is Jonathan pleading to David. Now remember Saul was looking for someone to fight Goliath. And he even offered David to wear his, Saul's armor when he went up against, when he went up against um, uh, Goliath. And David turned it down. And instead of using the armor and the sword of the king, he used a slingshot. And he slew Goliath for the sake of King Saul and the people of Israel. But note, through it all, even though his father wanted to do away with David because of jealousy, Jonathan remained loyal to uh, David. And he pleaded for David in the presence of his father, not to sin against David. Now, who is the society considered to be man's best friend? Dogs, right? And it really is true. I had a dog growing up. I'm the one who purchased him for $50. And back then, $50 was a lot of money. 
but it was, it was around, I was a junior higher at the time. Now, he was a poodle, and I named him Pierre. He was a little black poodle about this big. Now, I could only have either a poodle or a wire hair terrier because I was allergic to dog fur. So, uh, this friend of my mom said, hey, we got a pedigree poodle uh, that wasn't white. He's black. And so he's very difficult to sell, so we'll sell him to you for $50. So I laid out $50 that I had, and I bought Pierre. Now, one day, a little bit later on, I think I was in high school, my brother just got a brand-new Schwinn 10-speed bicycle. I forgot to stay within the parameters here. All right. A 10-speed bicycle. And now we had, I had a bicycle that I got for my birth, for Christmas, like when I was about eight years old or so. And that's what we were riding. My brother got a brand new Schwinn. So on a, a given day, I think it was a day when my dad was barbecuing on a Saturday, I, I asked my brother if I can try out his bike. He said, sure. So I got on the bike and I rode it, just rode it down the block and I was riding back and I came up the driveway and my dog saw me. So he came running toward me on this while I was on this bicycle. The problem was he came, he ran directly to me, right in line with the bicycle. I tried to stop, but my bike, the brakes were on the pedals. You know, you reverse pedal. This one, the brakes were here, and I hadn't gotten used to it yet, so I didn't brake, and I ran over my dog with only the front wheels, though. My dog yelped and ran underneath the car in the backyard. So I went to Pierre and I coaxed him out and I, you know, I petted him. I told him I was sorry. And uh, after that, he was still my dog. And when I came home from school, he would come greet me unless I was riding a bicycle. And uh, he remained loyal because that's what friends do. That's what best friends do. They remain loyal. You know the percentage of pet owners who would choose their pet as a companion over another human? If stranded on a desert, what do you suppose the percentage is? It's 54%. More than half of pet owners, if they're stranded on an island, would rather have their pet than another human being. Where I live at Atherton, it's a retirement community, some of the residents have pets, and they allow for it because it's important, especially when somebody is a widow or widower, to have a friend. And they realize how important it is so they allow you to have a pet, but it's got to be a dog or a cat. It can't be like a horse, all right? But they have pets. I don't, you can't have snakes either, all right? Earl Willer tells a story of two men who grew up as friends. Though Jim was a little older than Philip um, and often assumed the role of leader, when they, and they did everything together. They went to high school together. They went to college together. They dormed together. They were best friends. After college, they decided to join the Marines. In a unique series of circumstances, they ended up in the same platoon on the same war front during the Second World War. So one day, one hot day, there was a fierce battle with the Germans, and their battalion was asked to retreat, so they retreated. When he got back to the place that they were supposed to go, Jim noticed that Philip was nowhere to be found. And so Jim panicked because he knew if Philip didn't show up in the next few moments, he probably would be gone. 
So Jim told the commanding officer, I got to go back for Philip. And the, and the officer commanded him to stay there because it would be suicide to go out there. Jim disobeyed the order and he ran back onto the battlefield and he found his friend Philip. And he came back with Philip on his shoulders. Philip was dead. So the uh, commanding officer reprimanded him. You risked your life for your friend, right? And you were too late. And he said, I wasn't too late. You're wrong, sir. I got there just in time. Before he died, his last words were, I knew you would come for me. Because that's what loyal best friends do. Is your friend like that to you? Don't be too harsh if they're not. But are you that kind of friend to somebody else? Will you be there for them? Because that's what friends are for. So a friend is loyal. Secondly, a friend is someone who is trustworthy. For example, a friend is someone who can keep a secret. The, a friend is someone who can keep a secret. In 1 Samuel 19, verse 2, it says, So Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. Now, Jonathan knew where he was, but he never told his father because it was a secret hiding place that David refers to when he talks about a refuge and hiding place in his Psalms, the Psalms he wrote, my hide, you are my hiding place. He's talking about that time when he hid, had to hid from King Saul. Jonathan knew where it was, but he never revealed that secret to his father. Proverbs 11.13 says, He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. You know, there are some times when you have to hold confidences. It's directed to us from the scriptures. Don't be a talebearer. Don't be slanderous. There are times when we need to hold things in conferences Confidence and full disclosure is not the theme for the day. When I was a, a kid, my brother and I, I have a younger brother, and we were playing in the backyard, and some pigeons landed in our backyard. Now, we had this lemon tree. It was a great lemon tree. And it had really nice lemons, and some of the lemons were round. So when they would drop to the ground, and we'd, throw, and we'd pick them up, and instead of making lemonade, we'd just throw them. And one of the things my dad says is, man, don't throw stuff at animals. But, I don't, you know, you're a kid. So pigeons landed in our backyard. We had a big backyard. Pigeons landed in our backyard. So I picked up a round lemon, pretty round lemon, and I said to my brother, watch this. The pigeon was on the ground from about me to the cameras. I reared back and threw it as hard as I could at the pigeon. Now, what normally happens when you throw something at a bird? Flies away, right? I hit it on its head, and its head fell off. I, I, I can still see it today. If I close my eyes, it was on the ground. All of a sudden, boop, no head. I was mortified. I didn't expect to hit the thing. We were so in shock, my, brother, my little brother and I, we didn't know what to do, so we buried it and gave it a Christian funeral. <laughs> and we weren't even Christians. But, you know, you watch 
Westerns and stuff, and people put somebody in the ground, and they put a cross there. That's exactly what we did for this pigeon. But I told my brother, don't ever tell dad, because dad told us, don't throw stuff at animals. Actually, I think he meant dogs. All right? Don't. And my brother was trustworthy, and he kept that secret. My dad never found out that I knocked the head off of a pigeon. I'm going to take a sidetrack, okay? One time I went shooting and with my, my, my brother-in-law and his brother. They're, they're big into guns, and I just had never done it before. So we went to the desert, and they taught us how to chase down a rabbit, jackrabbits. You can actually chase down a jackrabbit. Now, because jackrabbits... Rabbits, when you hunt, when you run after them, they run and then they, they turn right degree angles. Right? That's how they avoid if, if they're not next to their hole. So you run at a jackrabbit. When you see them turn, you run the hypotenuse. That's when geometry comes in handy. And then they turn every, and they run long distance, then they turn, you run the diagonal, they see you, they run, they turn, and every time as they run, the distance becomes shorter because the rabbit can't run very long. And eventually, the rabbit will just stop. So we came up on the rabbit, and my brother-in-law's brother said, Corey, you shoot it. So I took, I had a rifle, a 22 caliber rifle. I didn't own one. I pointed it at the rabbit, and it looked at me. You ever see this, like, Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know? And I didn't know what to do. I was about 20, I was about 22 years old. I didn't know what to do, so I shot it. <laughs> I knocked off a head of a pigeon, and I shot a helpless rabbit. After that, I vowed I will never, ever shoot any animal again unless it's for food. I mean, it taught me a valuable, and I had just become a Christian. It taught me a valuable life lesson. I, I can see the pigeon when I close my eyes, and I can see that rabbit. When I closed, that's how much it impacted me. But I felt so bad. But it gave me a whole understanding of, of man, you just don't shoot animals just to kill it. Right. That was a sidetrack. I'm sorry. Don't tell anybody. Oh, it's being recorded. So, (laughs) I was. Those are traumatic experiences in my life because men don't remember things unless it affects them emotionally, because we live on the left side of our brain. So a friend is someone who is loyal, someone who is trustworthy, and when you leave today, the two things you're going to remember is the pigeon and the rabbit. Try to remember some of the other things that I share too. A friend is someone who helps us do what is right. A good friend helps us to do what is right, as opposed to what? Do something that's wrong. Samuel, 1 Samuel 12 to 17, then Jonathan said to David, the Lord the, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or on the third day, behold, if there is a good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also. If I do not make it known to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father." My dad's going to be okay with you? I'll let you know. If my dad's not, I'll tell you so you can avoid him. 
That's what he's saying. Now, this is, what, this is where he helps David to do what is right. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And he's referring to the house of Saul, which he is a part of. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require at the hands of David's enemies. David, Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. So what he's doing here, he's saying, David, no matter what my dad does, always be kind to the house of Jonathan. Do what is right, even if my father does what is wrong. So what he's doing is he's encouraging David to do what is right, never to do what is wrong. And that's what friends are for, to encourage us to do what is, what is right. I met a young man. His name was Mark. And he actually, I, we lived on a certain street, and he lived like about eight, nine blocks away from us. And I met him, and he was recovering from drugs, and he had been in a severe motorcycle accident. So he was a little bit not all there because of the accident and the fact that he was a recovering drug addict. So he came to Bible study at my house, and he came to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And he was beginning to grow in faith. Then one night, I got a frantic call from his mother. And she called me up and said, Mark just died. Can you come over? So I went over to the house as quickly as I could, just about eight blocks away. I met his mother in, her, in the living room, and he was living in a, uh, you know, a little room that's built next to a garage. That's where he was living, at his parents' house. Well, it turned out some of his old friends came to his house, unbeknownst to his mother. Well, actually, she knew about it after the fact, but at the time, she, she didn't know they were there, and they gave him drugs, and he overdosed. And so I remember her just vividly. She, she was in, we were in the kitchen, and she said to me with tears in her eyes, how could his friends do that to him? And I looked at her with as much kindness as I could and said, they were not his friends. Because friends don't ask you to do what is wrong and what's not good for you. Friends always encourage you. Good friends always encourage you to do what is right. Are you that kind of friend to somebody else who is your friend? Always encourage them to do what is right. When I was in college, my roommate, I didn't know who he was until we became roommates. We were in an apartment. I never stayed in a dorm because I transferred to UCLA my junior year. And um, he was going to cheat on the psych test. Psych 101, I think it was. I was a psych minor. And so this class was one of the larger classes. It was in one of the halls that held like 300, 400 people. And so it was about 300 people in that class. And then, you know, did they still use blue books? You don't know what a blue book is. Did you say they use blue books? Well, we have blue books. And so he, they, and the professor gave us questions in advance and said, out of these 10 questions or um, eight questions, you're going to get to have to, you have to write on three or four of them. And so he cheated by writing the test out in advance. But he had the system, and he wanted me to help him and participate. Right? 
And uh, I didn't because if you got caught cheating at UCLA, it was instant expulsion. Not probation or not. You got expelled from UCs, period, at least back then. I said, I'm not going to do that. But it taught me something. He wasn't really a good friend. He, was, he wanted me to risk getting expelled for his sake. Turned out, we went to the class, open up your blue books, now start on page three, which meant you can't tear pages out. So that's how they started the test, and we didn't know that was the way to go. I thought, that's a pretty good thing the professor did. So what he did was, he just copied from the other blue book, and he didn't get caught. The Bible says, um, do not be conceived, bad company, corrupts good morals. Be careful who you hang out. Now, I think you can hang out with people who don't know Jesus. I think you should. Because that's the only way they're going to come to know Jesus if you help share with them. If you hang out with only Christians, you're never going to be able to share the gospel. But don't be caught up in their misdeeds and always advise them to do what is right. Even if they advise you to do something that is wrong. I remember when I, after I got called into ministry, I'd hang out with some of my friends. We had a party one time, and at a certain part of the party, they pulled out weed. You know what weed is? <laughs> I'm surprised you know what weed is. And they would smoke, but they would always tell me, maybe it's time for you to leave. I mean, they, were, they knew I was a pastor, and if they got busted, you know, a pastor gets busted in a party where they're smoking, even though I wouldn't be smoking it. And so I would always leave. So at least my friends were looking out for me. And then they lit up after I, I left. <laughs> there was a man who had a really nice canary who had an unusually beautiful song that it sang. Well, during the summer, he thought it was a shame to keep the bird inside the house all the time. So he placed a cage in a nearby tree occupied by sparrows. And that's where the little canary hung out. And then they were very attracted to the cage, so they hung out around the cage. At first, the canary was frightened. But gradually, the canary began to enjoy the company of his newfound friends, the sparrows. But gradually, almost imperceptibly, he lost, began to lose the sweetness of his song. By the end of summer, his singing was little more than the twitter of the sparrows. Spending his entire summer in the wrong environment caused the canary to lose his song. So we need to be careful who we hang out with in terms of friendships. Hang out in, ter in terms of sharing the gospel. Because that's what Jesus did, right? He ate with sinners. Right? He ate with tax collectors but never join them in their song. The Bible says, what? Christians have a brand new song to sing. The psalm says that repeatedly. We have a brand new song. We need to make sure we keep our song and not join in the Twitter of those who don't know Jesus. What we need to do is share our song with them so they begin singing our song, the song of the Savior. So a friend is someone who's loyal, a friend is somebody who's trustworthy, 
a friend is someone who helps to do what is right. Fourthly, a friend is someone who's willing to confront us, to confront us. In 1 Samuel 20, which we already read, it says in verse 12, Then Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be a witness. And then he goes on to tell David to do what is right. That probably was hard for Jonathan to do. But to encourage David to do what is right, he had to confront him. He had to go to him. He had to articulate what was on his mind regarding making sure he took care of his family in a loving fashion. By the way, you read later on, and, and Jonathan had a son. And his son became an invalid when they were trying to escape uh, the castle or the place they lived after Saul's army was destroyed and Saul was killed. And the nurse that was carrying the, the Jonathan's son fell and his son hurt himself and could no longer walk. Now, back in that day, if you were an invalid, if you couldn't walk, your destiny was to become a beggar. Right? Nobody would take care of you. It's not like today. There's no ADA program in the kingdom of God or in the kingdom of Israel back then. So David, once he becomes king, tells his soldiers, go find um, Jonathan's son, Mephizobeth. And they bring him to him, and the son thinks this is it. So he kneels to be killed. David except instead brings him into the household of the king. And he tells him, you're going to sit at the king's table for the rest of your life. And he took care of Jonathan's son for the remainder of his days. Because that's what friends are for. Fifthly, a friend is someone who encourages us. Encourages us. By the way, going back to the other point, if you see a friend, part of this church, who is in sin, it's important to confront them. To lovingly confront them and let them know, you know, what you're doing just isn't right. And then assist them if they're willing to be assisted to repent from their sin because that's what friends are for. Enemies aren't going to do that for them. Non-friends are not going to do that for them. A good Christian friend will in the right time and in the right manner with grace and mercy. You know, speak the truth in love, Paul says in, in Ephesians. 1 Samuel 23 15 and 16 says, Now David came, became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the, in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Jonathan seeks out David to encourage him. The word encourage there means to strengthen his hand. So Jonathan's visit helped to strengthen David through this thing called encouragement. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. Now the word, um, the word encourage means to come alongside with the purpose of strengthening. That's what the, Paul is trying to say to the church at, at Thessalonica. And it carries out the idea of trying to build, edify someone else, to strengthen them. In the spring of 1994, there was a fifth grade class at Lake Elementary School in Oceanside, California. So, it's a California story. 
And this class had 14 boys with no hair, completely bald. Only one, however, had no choice in the matter. So you know what was going on there, right? This young boy had cancer. His name was Ian O'Gorman. He was undergoing chemotherapy for a lymphoma. And as a result, his hair fell out. So he had to shave his head. And my daughter had to do that. Right. Then 13 of his male classmates decided to shave their heads so that Ian wouldn't feel out of place. If everyone has his head shaved, some, sometimes people don't know who's who, the 11-year-old Scott Sabella said in an Associated Press story in 94. They just don't know who has the cancer and who just shaved their head. 10-year-old Kyle Hanslick started it all. He talked with some of the other boys, and before uh, long, they all went to the barber shop to shave their head. The last thing he would want is not to fit in, said Kyle. We just want him to feel better. Sean's, uh, yeah, Ian's father, Sean, choked back the tears as he told the story. He said, there's something too hard to put into words. What these friends did for his son suffering with cancer shaving their heads, or the hair off their heads. But that's what friends are for. You know, if you know somebody who's undergoing chemotherapy, we know, we have a friend that's doing it, going through it right now. You know, taking them a meal, sending them a text. We have, I have a couple of friends that are undergoing some real difficult trials physically. A meal, a text, an email, and then a phone call when they have enough strength really is helpful because that's what friends are for. Sixthly, a friend is someone who loves us as much as they love themselves. John, we already read uh, out of First Samuel, and it says, you know, da Jonathan laid, loved David as he loved himself. And that's, that's what friends do. A friend's love is selfless. And the only way it can be selfless is if you love them as, more, as much as you love yourself. By the way, it's important to learn to love yourself appropriately. Because what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as what? As yourself. How can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't know what it means to love yourself in an appropriate way? So that's the journey we all need to take. How am I supposed to love myself? Because if I love myself appropriately, then I will know how to love my neighbor. And basically, you do for them as you would want done for you. Taekwondo star Esther Kim, at which age 20, and she accomplished a lifelong dream of hers. She made the Olympic team in Taekwondo. This was the Sydney Olympics. In the finals, she was going to have to compete against her best friend, uh, whose name was Kay Poe, P-O-E. Now, her and Kay trained together their entire lives, Taekwondo lives, and their coach was uh, her, Esther's father, Mr. Kim. All right. Well, in the, in the semifinal match, um, Kay Poe hurt her knee, so she, was, she couldn't fight 
in the finals against Esther. Kay was the number one rank uh, taekwondo um, star in America. And, and uh, Esther knew that she couldn't beat Kay. I mean, they trained together. So what did Esther do? She forfeited the finals, even though she would have. It was actually a walkover, you know, where you win because the other person can't compete. So instead, she decided for her best friend, she was going to disqualify. She was not going to. She was going to forfeit the match. So then, as a result, Kay Poe got to join the Olympic team, and Esther stayed home. But not really, because. People were, some people were really, really upset at what Kay did, or what Esther did, giving up her place. They thought that was a foolish thing to do. Your lifelong dream to make the Olympics, and then you, 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 you've made the team, just show up for the match. And she didn't, so her friend could go to the Olympics. So the Olympic Committee did something that, that I think was real nice, they sent Esther and her father to the Sydney Olympics and gave them passes and everything, took care of them because of what she had done. They considered, I think, the ultimate act of sportsmanship. Kay wrote, I thought, it's not like I'm going to be throwing my dream away. I'm just going to be handing it over to Kay, her best friend. So she won. So uh, Esther won the Citizenship Award of Sports. I mean, she got honors bestowed upon her because of this act of a friendship. She also concluded by saying, even though I didn't have the gold medal around me, for the first time in my life, I felt like a real champion in something that's far greater than an Olympic gold medal. Because that's what friends are for. Finally, a friend is someone who is faithful even when we are faithless. A good friend is somebody who stays faithful even when we are faithless. We'll move from Jonathan and David to, I think, the best example of this. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of, God, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd, my sheep. He said to him a third time, a third time. Jesus, when he asked, asked in the love form, agapao, which means um, unconditional love, agape love. Do you agape love me? And Peter says, you know I do. The third time he says it, Jesus says what? Do you love me? He uses the word phileo, which is a, just a friendship. Not an agape love, but a, a human kind of love. He said, Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. After the resurrection, Jesus actually seeks out Peter and has this discourse with him. Why? It was Peter that denied Jesus three times. And wh when you deny that you even know your friend three times, 
You call that betrayal. Wouldn't you call that betrayal? Judas had one kind of betrayal when he kissed Jesus in the garden and showed the guards that this was Jesus. That was one kind of betrayal. Peter's was a different kind of betrayal. I shared last week about Peter and the myth. He said, no matter what happens, I'll die with you. That was a myth. Why? He talked about it, but it didn't happen. Jesus knew how that impacted Peter. So as a friend and as a rabbi and mentor, he seeks out Peter to restore him. Even though Peter was faithless, Jesus was faithful. That is really hard to do. When someone betrays you, can you still be their friend? Really difficult. But just what Jesus did with Peter. Even though Peter was faithless, Jesus was faithful. Can you think of a friend who has betrayed you? Can you be their friend once again? Or is it, does it hurt just too much? Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves when? At all times. Not just when it's convenient, not just when they're a good friend to you, but a good friend loves at all times. Proverbs 10, 12, second portion says, But love covers all transgressions. Love covers all sins all betrayals, all mistakes. No matter what you and I do, we know that Jesus will still love us. Even if we deny him and betray him in a manner of speaking by our activities, actions, and maybe even friendships, he will still love us. What did Jesus say before he went to the cross? Greater love has no person than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. So we know Jesus considers us his friends, and we know that he loves us in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, than one that does life for his friend, which is exactly what Jesus did. So a friend is someone who is loyal. A friend is someone who is trustworthy. A friend is someone who helps us do what is right. A friend is someone who is willing to confront, it, confront us when necessary. Someone who encourages us. Someone who loves us as much as they love themselves. And finally, someone who is faithful, even when we are faithless. So once again, think in your own life. Don't think so much about a friend to you, but you toward your friends. Are you this way? Are you loyal? Are you trustworthy? Do you encourage your friends to do what is right? Are you willing to confront when necessary? Do you encourage them? Do you love them as much as you love them yourself? And have you or are you or will you be faithful even if they are faithless? Because that's what friends are for. But know that Jesus is your best friend no matter what. Nobody has greater love for you than Jesus because he went to the cross to die for you. And nothing represents that better than communion. You know, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the loaf and he said, this is my body. Whenever you partake of it from this point forward, do so in remembrance of me. And they would know what that meant because just after that, he goes to the cross 
to die. His body is broken. Then he takes the third cup of communion and he says, this, this represents my blood. New covenant represented by my blood. Drink of it and whenever you do, do it in remembrance of me. The new covenant being established. And in March, I'll explain what that means or what he meant with that third cup. So when we partake, we can have this understanding and attitude that, and this is Jesus, my friend. And everything Jesus was and everything represented by, by Jonathan is what a friend should be. And are you that kind of friend to others? Do you want, even want to be that kind of friend to others? Because that's what friends are for. So I'm hoping that the message today will just begin maybe a, a new walk in your life to discover how can I be a really good friend to the people I consider to be friends? And just receive whatever friends can give to you because some of them just don't understand what friends are for. Maybe you can help them to learn. And those of you who are parents, you can help your children to understand what does it mean to be a good friend from a biblical perspective. Because now you know what friends are for. Take a moment and pray. Lord, we now pray in Jesus' name that you'll bless our time of communion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that our worship team will be leading us in, in worship, and praising you in the midst of communion. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, we... we uh, we thank you for the remembrance that Jesus has given to us with the loaf and the cup represented today. Your, your body, Jesus, and your blood shed for us. Thank you.